message this morning is called The Prophet Who Misunderstood God. And it's a message about compassion. And it's a message that I've been tested with this week. And I'll give you just a, a little bit of that background. But um, if you've been following the news, there was an unfortunate incident with a very prominent Christian man. And I felt bitterness and anger and hatred, and I didn't give a rip about that man or his wife or his kids. Uh, I just was frustrated that that event, like so many other events, is just going to make it harder for me to walk out on the street and have normal people think that I'm normal uh, without any kind of kind of bias because I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian. And the message we're talking about today is on compassion, and I was struggling with all these, these emotions of anger and bitterness. I had a friend who wrote a, a blog called uh, Let's, uh, Let's Not Be Weird, uh, and Ben's over in Portland, and he was sitting with some of his classmates, and they had just been uh, witnessed to, and it wasn't a, a thing where uh, some Christians really took into account that these were people they were talking to. They just kind of had an agenda and just blitzed up on them, and it didn't go well. And so Ben is sitting there hearing this conversation, and he finally says, you know, I'm a Christian, um, and this is why I'm a Christian, and no, that's not the right picture that you're getting. Um, but so it's a theme that's kind of come up over and over in my week this week, and so I really feel like, boy, God had this sermon planned for me. And so this morning as we're going through this, maybe you're going to kind of realize, you know what, God had this sermon planned for me as well. And that's kind of my thought going into this. The prophet who misunderstood God. If you'll turn with me to the book of Jonah and go ahead and look it up on the table of contents. I did. Uh it's like two pages and you can't find it otherwise. So um, go ahead and look up where Jonah's at. And Jonah is an interesting case study. It's like a sociological Christian culture case study. And what I mean by that is this. In seminary, when we would go and look at books, uh, they would make you do an outline of the book. And at the top of the outline, you would put the theme of that book. If you're going to wrap it all into one phrase or one word or one sentence, what's the theme of that book? And if I asked most of you, what is the theme of Jonah? Immediately you'd think, well, it's a big whale. And you'd see a picture of a cartoon whale or, or something like that. And that's kind of the unfortunate thing that children's stories do to us sometimes. But we kind of have this perception, oh, I know the story of Jonah, Jonah and the whale. Big fish swallows little guy. Uh, that's the story. But the funny thing is, is the book of Jonah, the main theme going on here is God's compassion. It is a book about God's compassion. And it starts out, and it's pretty simple. We don't have time to read the whole book, but it's a short book. But it begins, and God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, a city that is doing wrong, that is steeped in sin, and he's to go and, and preach to them. Uh, to go and tell them God is, is not pleased, right? Uh, and Jonah doesn't want this assignment. And he kind of knows in, in the bottom of his heart that maybe these people will 
that I don't like, that I'm kind of prejudiced against or whatnot. Maybe they'll actually come around and God will forgive them or, or whatnot. I just don't like this assignment. And he gets on a ship and he runs away. And he's on the ship and the, the, you know, God kind of says, I, you know, where are you go, Jonah, it's not like I don't see you here. I mean, it's like, you know, little kids cover their eyes and if I can't see you, you can't see me, you know. I mean, God's kind of like, uh, Jonah, you're silly. I see you. And you're on that ship, and, and I'm going to rock the ship, and I'm going to toss the ship, and because and, I'm going to jar you loose because I've got business for you. And so God brings the storm. The people on the boat are thinking, what in the world is going on? They're fearing for their life. And uh, they finally come to Jonah and say, what's the deal? And Jonah says, it's me. I worship the God of the heavens. They, they create all this stuff, and I'm running from him. And they say, well, what, what should we do? And Jonah says, you know what? Um, I messed up. God is angry with me. Uh, I deserve judgment. Throw me over the ship. Uh, God's anger and his wrath will be appeased, and then the storm will probably go away. So they kind of, you know, it's an odd thing for someone to tell you. They kind of go, whoa, we don't want this man's blood on our hands. So they kind of pray about it. Say, you know, we don't want to be guilty of throwing this man overboard, but they throw him overboard. Okay. And that's where the big fish comes in. God doesn't take Jonah's life. He sends a big fish, swallows Jonah up, and where do you think the fish is going to go? To Nineveh. God doesn't call people to do things on a whim or willy-nilly or just because he's feeling emotional that day. He calls us to do things with the idea that we're actually going to do those things. And he will curb us and bend us and move us until we get where we're supposed to be. And a lot of us have that whisper in our ears of something we were supposed to do in our life, right? And you've kind of been carrying it for years. And you've got all these things going on in your life. And maybe, just maybe, it's God trying to say, you you didn't just do what I asked. And so now I'm trying to bend you back there. Because I asked you to do that for a reason. I whispered that into your ear for a reason, so that you would actually do it. You know, I'm dealing with that in my own life right now. And so the fish spits out Jonah on the beach. Jonah is on cloud nine thinking, what a gracious God we have. And in chapter two, he, he sings this prayer. And I just want you to get the bottom line here. Chapter two, verse nine. But I, with a song of thanksgiving. So he's got thanks in his heart, right? God has been gracious to him. I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. So he's in this fish. He's being taken to Nineveh. He gets spit spit out. And what's going on in his heart is rejoicing. He's been redeemed. He's been saved. And then he goes to Nineveh with a renewed sense of purpose. And he goes into town. And on the first day, this is what Jonah starts proclaiming with the bullhorn. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. You guys got 40 days and then it's, you're going to be flattened. The wrath of God is going to come upon you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to level this whole town. You're all going to die. And that's what's going to happen 40 days from now. In the very next line, the Ninevites believed God. 
And it goes on. And they declare fast. And they begin to repent and say, wow, you know what? We're, they realize what they've done. And they start looking to God and saying, we're sorry. And, and if you can find it in you, God, to, to relent, to forgive us, to turn away your, your anger, um, we realize we're wrong. And then chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Okay, so now here's where it gets really interesting. Chapter 4, the last chapter. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Jonah has a different set of things going on in his heart than God. Do you see that? God relents, has compassion, but Jonah. So God's over here now, but Jonah's going to be over here somewhere else. And he is greatly displeased and he became angry. Who do you think he's angry with? He's angry with God. And here's why he's angry. He prays to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Stop talking about taking your life, Jonah. You're being emotional. You ever get in an argument with someone? And uh, we've all been in an argument, right? And you're talking about something, and then they just immediately knee-jerk to, like, nuclear war. You always, you know, uh, no, I don't always, you know. You are 100% responsible. Well, I've seen very few things in life that are 100% zero. It's probably closer to the middle. It, you know, or forget it all, I quit grab the marbles and, and start to leave, right? I mean, when there's a disagreement, we're, we're basically all immature people. And uh, what happens is we want to just quit, run from it, not deal with it, not analyze, not meditate, not reflect. We just want to blah. And so Jonah says, just, just take my life. I don't like this anymore. This isn't fun anymore. I want it to be over. Let's let it stop. And God doesn't even deal with his knee-jerk emotional reactions where you swing all the way to an excessive extreme. God doesn't even deal with that. No, no, let's give it a week before I kill you. He doesn't go there. God says, do you have a right to be angry? If I have a certain set of affairs in my heart, compassion and all that, do you have a right to be angry? So here's what's going on with Jonah. Let me just try and frame it. It's like a hockey game. I didn't drive all this way, pay all this money to come to a hockey game and not see a fight, right? I mean, I didn't come to just see guys on ice skates, okay? I came to see a fight. I deserve to see a fight. What's going on? And so that's where Jonah's at. I'm a prophet. I came. I preached gloom and doom. I deserve to see destruction, you prophesy, then God judges. That's how it works. That's the formula. That's the plan. God, you're deviating from the plan. 
I'm left with all this tension and, and weird hanging emotions. And not only that, but all these people that I came in above them, you Ninevites, I'm the prophet of God. Now I'm below them. Why? Because I said in 40 days, this town was going to be wiped out. Now it's not going to be wiped out. Guess who's wrong? God, you made me wrong. My reputation's going to go down. I'm, in a sense, below these people, and they're Ninevites. Why would you do that to me? I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I'm humiliated. You might as well just take my life. And God says, do you have the right to be angry? And so it goes on. Verse 5, chapter 4. Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter. And he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Maybe the lightning will come after all. And then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God again says to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I am angry enough to die. God is doing something here. He's trying to to dig out of Jonah that his emotions, the state of his heart is, is completely messed up. It's not right. It's broken. It doesn't ring true. And God wants Jonah. See, what happens is our heart is deceptive. We've all got these things. It's not just Jonah. You know, in case you didn't pick up on this, we're talking about Jonah so I can preach at you. Okay? This isn't a message. This is a sermon. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, We're talking about Jonah so that we can look at our own lives. Because we're human. We're in the same boat. Our heart plays tricks with us that we can't always see. And God comes to us the first time and says, do you have a right to be angry? And we just kind of, and we stop listening. And then he brings about circumstances in our life that will take what's on the inside and hopefully yank them to the outside so that we can see it, 2020. And maybe then, when we realize how ugly it is or how wrong it is, maybe then it'll change how we act. And so what's on the inside somehow, some way with God is going to be shown on the outside. He's going to draw it out. So I got two quick cartoons for you along these lines. Here's the first one. Well, tell me, Randy, has someone eaten all the refrigerator magnets again? <laughs> the dog's stuck to the refrigerator here. And what's really funny about this is there's a middle schooler that's going to go home and try that. Um, what's on the inside is going to show. Here's the next one. Have a seat, Kermit. I'm about to tell you something that might come as a big shock. Um, Sooner or later, what's on the inside is going to come out, and we're going to see it for what it is on the outside. 
And that's what God is doing with Jonah here. He's trying to show him. He's giving him an object lesson. And Jonah still doesn't get it and says, I'm angry enough to die. And then God says to him, and try to understand the emotional state God is in right now as he's trying to get it through to Jonah, what's really going on with Jonah's heart. Just put yourself in God's shoes if you can and think of just how perplexed and frustrated and disappointed God must be. And God says this, you've been concerned about this vine, this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and it's got many cattle as well. If I judged them, all of that would be, be wiped out. That's kind of what he's kind of bringing into this. Should I not be concerned about that great city? End of the book of Jonah. There's somebody in your life right now or a political party in your life right now, or a group in your life right now, or a family in your life right now, or a co-employee in your life right now, and you have hatred, or bitterness, or anger, or pride. And what God is saying is you go out and you like your car. I like my car, sweet sound system. I like the landscaping around Bend. It brings me pleasure. I enjoy that. I look fondly upon that. I enjoy the rainbow that, that God put in the sky over this place this morning. I don't know if you guys saw that. And so I take these inanimate objects to a certain degree, these, these things that weren't made in the image of God, and I look on them favorably, and yet I will look at this person at work or this person in my life or this person that's gossiping about me, and I will want only God's judgment for those people. I will in my heart not want there to be blessings in that person's life. I don't want them to get a promotion. I don't want them to get what's good and what's right. I don't want that girl or that guy to get a good husband or a good wife. I want them to suffer. I don't want them to be exalted or lifted up or blessed. I don't want them to be graced by God. Yet these other things, like plants, I'm okay with those. And God says to us, here's why this book is a book about compassion. Last sentence. Should I not be concerned about that? See, do you understand that I have met a lot of parents, and I'm a parent now. I've met a lot of parents with some really screwed up kids. And they wish that a lot of things were different for those kids. But they still love those children. They want good things to happen to those children. Any anger or discipline is aimed at changing those children so that they can be blessed. But no parent would want to just annihilate or destroy or no parent would want to just put out a child. And what we don't understand is that employee that we look at and we think that person is so unlovable person in your family, the person that abused you, the person that hurt you. We look at that person and we say, that person is so unlovable and we see the things that they did, the objective things on the outside 
And we think God would see those same objective things and he's going to hate them the way we hate them. But here's what we miss. We miss two things, okay? The first thing we miss is God sees those things, but that person was made in the image of God. And that is a son or a daughter of God. He's not gonna want to just hurt one of his own children. And if you realize this is a child of God's, you yourself are gonna let go of anger and hatred and bitterness. And you're gonna say, I don't want one of your sons or daughters to be just hurt for no reason either, God. As much as they've hurt me, I understand this is someone you love. And so I will pray for that person. I will forgive that person. I will hope that you can somehow bring someone into their life or change them or turn them or do something so that you can fully bless them and raise them up and exalt them. And if that happens, I will rejoice because I know that you, God, will be rejoicing. So the first thing we miss is we miss the fact that this is one of God's children. Second thing is we miss the fact that we've been graced too. Remember chapter 2 of Jonah? When he was the person that deserved the wrath of God and God saved him and God spared him and God redeemed him and God says, and he says back to God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise you with these thanksgivings. I'm going to sacrifice to you. I'm going to fulfill my vows because salvation comes from the Lord. He didn't really, like Amanda was saying, understand the love of God. If he had really understood salvation, that Jonah himself, that he didn't deserve it, then he wouldn't have been so disappointed when God graced other people that didn't deserve it. If he didn't have the pride in his heart that he had, if he was more humble, then he would have realized he's on the same plane with those Ninevites. And he could have rejoiced in their salvation just like he rejoiced in his own salvation. So he didn't understand that we're sons and daughters of God. He didn't understand his own position with God, that he's been graced as well. And so guess what? It's not just Jonah. We see this all the time. Here's another example of it. This is going to be a familiar one. It's the story of the prodigal son. And this guy takes his dad's money, goes off, blows his dad's money, shames his dad, basically. And the guy comes back lowly and humble saying, you know, I messed up. And here's what happens. While this son was still a long way off, the father saw him. And the father in this story is God. Uh, that's the metaphor. And the father was filled with what? He was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now watch this. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why does the father want to celebrate? Because this is his son. He's been thinking about this kid day and night since this kid left, and the kid is now back. This is his son. 
And so the Father wants to celebrate and rejoice. And he says this, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And so they all begin to celebrate. Now here's the kicker. Verse 25, this is Luke chapter 15, by the way. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son, now if, if you're really brave, just put your name in there. Meanwhile, Ken. Ken was in the field working hard, being a good son, doing religious duties, ministering, loving people, right? Ken was in the field working hard. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And he felt like he'd been left out of a party. You ever been left out of a party? I didn't get there at the beginning. I didn't know about this party. What's all this singing and dancing? And Ken felt like he'd been left out of the party. So he asked someone. He called to someone, one of the servants and said, What is going on? And the servant answers, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother, Ken, became angry and refused to go in. I don't want to see people exalted above me. I don't want to see people that have been lazy for a season of life, doing nothing with their life, doing nothing with their talents, just squandering it away on pleasure or whatever, not caring about God, dishonoring God. I don't want to see those people get put in line in front of me. That's Ken. So the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him like God pleaded with Jonah. But the older son, I answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could embrace with my hands. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with, with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? How can you show grace to that? It deserves judgment, not love. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours, he's family, was dead and now is alive again, was lost and was found. I say to God, how come he gets an ice cream scoop that's bigger than me? How come... His ice cream scoop's as big as my ice cream scoop, God. And God says to me, uh, for the last 11 years of your life, Ken, uh, you've had the whole refrigerator. You've been living in my house. All that I've had has been yours. You've walked with me. I've blessed you. We've, we've rejoiced together. We've labored together. It's all been yours. What do you mean? How come he gets an ice cream scoop as big as you? You're missing the whole point. Why do you care about comparisons and position as if I didn't give you grace in the first place? You're an adopted son, Ken. I brought you into my family. I want to adopt this son again too. I want to show him grace and bring him into my family too. How come I don't have the right to do that? 
And how come you won't share in my joy? How come you won't rejoice with me? And so we go through life, brothers and sisters, and we look at people, and instead of loving them, it says God is love. And instead of having nothing but love for people and compassion and mercy and grace, we look at them and we want to push them down or we want to keep them from getting above us or we want to just hate them. Why? Because hate feels good. And we want to hang on to it instead of letting go and realizing how can I hold on to hate when God himself didn't do that to me. He sent the big fish, swallowed me up, got me out of what was happening in my life when I was saved. And so we don't let go of those things. And we don't do it. And the number one reason we don't do it is because we don't see it. And so God tries to draw it out of us. What is on the inside is going to show up on the outside. We are the problem with what's wrong with this world. G.K. Chesterton, the British writer, was sent a request from a publisher saying, I want an essay on what is wrong with the world. It's G.K. Chesterton. They didn't have an email back then. G.K. Chesterton got out his letterhead and his paper, and he wrote, Dear Sir, in response to your question, the question being what is wrong with this world, in response to your question, I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. What is wrong with this world? I am. Ken. I don't love as I ought to love, and I don't let go of the things I have no right to hold on to. And St. Augustine, way back in the the late 300s and early 400s, St. Augustine wrote this. He said, God took me from behind myself. So, So my heart was behind me where I couldn't see it, right? God took me from behind myself and put me in front of myself, and that has made all the difference. I was able to see my heart, what is going on and realize it needs to be changed, and realize it needs to be fixed, and realize that there's things I need to lay down. That God is asking me questions about the things in my mind and my heart right now. When you go get alone with God, or pray to God, or even when you're driving through the stereo, he's trying to get to you, and he's saying, why why are you angry? Why are you bitter? Why can't you let that go? Don't you understand who that person is? Don't you understand what I've done for you? Don't you understand that you're guilty of the same things you're accusing that person of? Humble yourself. Humble yourself and let me bless you all the more. God loves humble people because humble people have soft enough hearts for God to mold and to shape They're not rigid. They're not suffering from pride, which is all about comparisons and winning and losing. They have soft hearts. Here's what a humble person's willing to do. We all want to draw a line in the sand and say the bad people are over there and the good people are over here. We want to draw a line in the sand and say the difference between good and evil is that's the evil, this is the good. Bad guys, good guys. We all struggle with wanting to draw the line there. And what God is trying to show us is the line between good and evil goes, goes right here. goes right down the center of your heart.
And that realization produces humility. God, I don't deserve grace. That's why grace is called amazing. Amazing grace. It's undeserved. And I would love for some other people that are making a royal mess of their life to have that change come about like I had so that they could know the joys that I know. And I'm willing to let down my pride and anger and hatred and bitterness and frustration and pain and want the best for them. It's what Jesus meant by praying for your enemies. Wanting the best for somebody who needs better than what they've got. Being willing to see them through God's eyes so you can say, God, I want the same thing for that person that you do. I want compassion. So I'm going to pray for them. As the band's coming up, let's go ahead and say a quick prayer. Father God, I just pray this morning, wherever we've come in, that we would be able to to have our heart that is deceptive. Take us from behind ourselves and place us in front of ourselves. Let us see ourselves through clear eyes. Let us be humbled. Let us be amazed at your grace. Let us want that grace for others. We don't want to let love jump out of our heart towards certain people, God, because in order for that to happen, we'd have to let the doors open on emotions that we've gotten comfortable with. Bitterness, rage, hatred, frustration, judgment, gossip, slander. We don't want to stop belittling, belittling others with our eyes. Father, we, we've grown accustomed to that. And so this morning, just open up our hearts. Let all those things clear out that need to be cleared out. Renew us and fill us with the compassion that you have at the center of your heart. In Christ's name.